Welcome, one and all, to another episode of the Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind podcast. My name's Imran, TJ Sutherland, Dan Collicott. With new episodes released on the first and third Mondays of the month, catch Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind podcast at foreverinelectricdreams.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind podcast. Uh, just a reminder that all of our shows are hosted on our website, which is foreverinelectricdreams.com. Uh, that's beginning with the number four. And you can also get us on our Twitter at Forever Electric, where our new shows go live on the first and third Monday of every month. Um, I'm your host, TJ Sutherland. And with me today are my partners in numerous crimes to humanity, Imran Mirza. Hello. And Dan Collicott. Howdy. Cool. Okay, so today um, got, I'm going to be asking the question, what are the biggest or the most influential tech innovations that any of us has seen in our lifetimes? Uh, and what effect has that piece of tech had on our lives? And has the advancement been a positive or a negative one? Without going into too much of a crazy rant about, um, <laughs> crazy old man rant about technology ruining stuff and going out and getting some fresh air and all that nonsense um so i mean we're all 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 of us are kind of 80s slash 90s kids so you know there was a raft of tech innovations through those couple of decades so um imran let's start with you what what would you say is your your biggest thing the calculator. I'm kidding. Hey. Um, <laughs> right, I remember right, the right. good old days. The abacus was the glory days. Now it's this oh, calculator man. nonsense. People writing hello upside down. Anyway, nonsense. Um, for me, <laughs> for me, um, my uh, it was the first thing that came to mind. To be honest, it was it, something that. Uh, I think this as a as an advancement as a technological advancement didn't just revolutionize the music industry I think it went as far as almost ha- having reinvented it uh, I think it forced the industry to adapt before it was really even ready to it changed the way we as consumers uh, consumed the music we listened to and the way record yeah. labels sort of had to sell it to us um it ushered in the era of downloading and streaming um we're not there yet, but it has set the path to um, making playback medium obsolete. Uh, it's the faceless enemy of the recording industry. It's the victimless crime for listeners. Uh-oh. I, of course, I'm talking about Uh-oh. the MP3. We're getting ranty now. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. All of that is very, very objective. No, no, no. I'm certainly yeah. not being ranting. It's, but it is, it is the thing that record labels had to say, like, oh, my gosh, we're losing control of what people have. Um, I think the the, sh- the file sharing um, uh, uh, culture uh, completely mm. changed the way labels um, had to approach music. It's everything I said was was intended to be objective in terms of mm. it was just something. When I say it was the the victimless crime for listeners, it was it was it's easy to illegally download something and think it's perfectly fine to do so and there be no real repercussions of that, you know. Um, mm. But. Um, yeah, so my pick is the MP3, and I was being very objective when I, <laughs> with that rundown. But yeah, the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely have to agree with you on that one. As a as a fellow music lover as well, I've been through. Funny enough, as I'm sitting here at my desk, I'm looking at a stack of mini discs that um, wow. I recovered from my mum's attic, along with a mini disc player. 
Um, so yeah, but I've I've been through the many various incarnations of audio technology from well, only going back as far as the audio cassette through CDs, mini discs, then on to various digital formats. So and it's yeah, it has has been a real um, revolution just on a personal level, but you know, you know, if, if you look at the broader scale of how it's affected the music industry, how, um, how it's affected how artists get their music into people's ears as well. Yeah. Um, whether it's made it easier, obviously positive being in some cases made it a lot easier, but the negatives, as you say, you know, things like piracy and file sharing, making it so much more, so much easier for, for that sort of thing to happen. So, mm. Yeah. If you kind of look at what it was, what, what many people thought, it, it kind of restored some kind of balance, um, as in there were a lot of record companies that were making, well, basically exploiting artists and bands um, back in the, you know, kind of the 70s, 80s, 90s and noughties. And mm. there was this kind of feeling that, you know, there were bands that you know that they literally couldn't get out of their contract. So, so some of them were almost like paralyzed. They couldn't make music. They had to change their name. You know, you got you got Prince changing his name to Symbol. There was, I think, the record industry was seen to have way too much power and control, um, and it was almost like you know the MP3 turned music into more of a democracy, uh, it, it led to much more music being accessible and out there. I think the problem with that is that a lot of bands and artists can't really make uh, that much money out of their music releases and, you know, they rely more on playing live. Um, but even then, I would say that a lot of the bands that, are known as in probably the bands that we grew up with up until the MP3 came out, that they've kind of got a reputation that's established and they can carry on, you know, making music and, um, and touring. Whereas I think it's so much more difficult for new bands who weren't around pre MP3 to actually get their music out there. But I would hope that, there's more people buying music and downloading and, and listening to that music. And, and, and hopefully, you know, once people find a band or artists they like, they, they do become uh, more dedicated and are, and are more likely to, to follow them and actually, you know, buy and, you know, actually download their music hmm. um, legally. Hmm. So, yeah, it, it's kind of a weird one. I, I couldn't, I think we could have a whole podcast about it because um, uh, there's so much to cover. But yeah, I, I agree, Imran. I think, you know, for, for me, I, I would say almost as much as um, a defining piece of tech being the MP3 itself, um, the, the iPod uh, is almost as important a piece of technology in my lifetime mm. that, that kind mm. of came in and I was the same as you, TJ. I had I had mini discs. Um, I even had mini discs. Um, you could sorry to sorry to correct you. I have a mini disc. 
No, 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 I, I still do. <laughs> I, I still have mine, although they don't work. Because one of the funniest things about mini disc players, and I don't know, I've got I've got two Sony ones and a JVC, but they all stopped charging. Like I couldn't, you couldn't uh, charge okay. the batteries anymore. And you, um, so that might be the case in mine, but mine's actually got an external uh, battery pack that you can put regular batteries in. So that's the only oh, reason nice. why it still works. So, <laughs> but yeah, I I kind of I I had one of the first. I think it's Sony. One of the first Sony mini discs which had this weird little docking station that you could connect to your computer. And because Sony always did this thing of, uh, despite there always being a prevailing wind in terms of technology, they would always do their own version, their own encoding. So <laughs> they had their own file system and you had to, you could, you could download MP3s and then you, you you could put them through the through the MP3 player via this weird software and docking station, and then it would re-encode all the MP3s into a different format. But it Jesus. was kind of a it, yeah, I know it's ridiculous. It's the first MP3 player I had because that was uh, maybe not before iPods, but before iPods were you know were everywhere and everyone mm. had them. It was probably. Uh, at the early stages and yeah but um i think sunny actually um going back to uh your earlier point about artists making money and getting more exposure it's funny timing about this a friend of mine posted uh, a thing on facebook the other day about spotify's um streaming rates obviously spotify one of the biggest digital platforms for streaming music at the moment and um just i'm just going to quickly quote something that you put here, which is something I wasn't completely... I knew that they, how they paid artists was something that was a bit of a bone of contention, but I didn't realise just how um, crazy it is when you hear the numbers. So he says, um, at Spotify's streaming rate of around 0.00437 per stream, it will take 229 plays of your song to generate $1. If you are like many of us, splitting that dollar with a record label, say 50-50, it would actually take 458 plays for you to earn that dollar. If you require $1,500 a month to pay rent, you need 687,000 plays every single month to stay on top of it. That's absolutely crazy. I mean, unless you're kind of top tier, you know, you're not making any any money out of a Spotify, even though it's kind of easier to get your, your music out there via Spotify, even as an independent artist, it's still... Um, Pretty yeah. horrendous. <laughs> It's not uh, it's not designed for the little man, basically. Well, well this yeah. is also what I think. I mean, like, I go to I go to a lot of gigs, and I kind of feel like um, my way of now kind of supporting artists uh, that I that I like, that even new artists that I'm just discovering, I would always go, you know, to their gigs, and I will also buy their merch because I think they make much more money. Oh yeah, for sure. And things, but yeah, it's it's. It's ridiculous because I, I will admit, I'll be the first to admit, and this is controversial, that if I hear a new artist or someone recommends a new artist, I e- even if I kind of know they're going to be good, I don't want to pay ten between 10 and £12 pounds to download something of theirs digitally because mm. there's not the cost anymore. I, d- I don't feel that's right. I, I will pay... If I found a new artist, and as long as it's around five pounds for their album, um, mm. 
digitally, I'm not talking about a physical one or a record. Of course, I, I would pay more for those things. Yeah. But if it's digitally, I don't expect to pay over five pounds, you know, six or seven, maybe depending on it. But I get really annoyed. I was I, just before we, we started podcasting, I was about to download uh, an album of an artist I just kind of discovered and I was really looking forward to it. And I thought, $9.99 on iTunes, I'm not paying that. I just don't want to pay that anymore because I did spend, you know, I've still got, I mean, I've downsized, but I've still got hundreds and hundreds of CDs. I used to have thousands. And I kind of think I spent a fortune on those. And I know I don't want to pay now for a non-physical product what I used to pay in the 90s for a CD. It, it kind of, it feels like people need to be more realistic by what they're charging. And obviously I know, uh, appreciate that, that Spotify gives them so little um, that, yeah, it's pretty unfair. Hmm. Any anything to add to that, Imran? Uh, no, I mean, I, Dan. I think when you initially started, Sorry, uh, we, we, we just kind of we just kind of shout all over your choice, actually, by, <laughs> by the end of that. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry. When when Dan initially started uh, uh, talking, you, you mentioned about like an older period, like pre MP3, where record labels still had that kind of. They were almost, you know, more than gatekeepers. They were, they, they, they were very much the sort of the dictators of what to listen to. And I think commercial radio picks up on what mainstream labels were playing. And it was this exchange that the labels, if you were signed to a major label, then that's a really good sign that you were probably going to do okay. Um, but I think a sort of when that all changed post MP3 realm, and you have. Uh, like a chart system now that is based that incorporates streams and downloads that opens everything up so much more but i think record labels have still sort of been quite strategic in managing to maintain that control over an artist um and it's almost like they almost it's in a digital social media environment now i think they expect the artist to do just as much promo and marketing as they do you know, it's like mm. if you want that, that big contract with with a major label, you know, you have to bring so much to the table now. It's almost like what's your social media account because you, we, we can't gamble anymore. You have to bring yeah. everything to the table, and it's almost like, well, what do we need the major label for? For certain people, if they can bring X amount already, do you yeah. know what I mean? Then for yeah. what purpose are you are you requiring that? So it's yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. I'm doing like I'm doing like ninety five percent of the work. So why are you taking fifty percent of the money? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's it's yeah it's it's fascinating to see how it's all unfolded and continues. Mm. I think to do so. So yeah. And also also fascinating to see where it will go. I mean, mm. you know, what, what is what is the next step for? You know, how do how else can we consume? that for that medium of entertainment you know what is there i mean obviously there's higher quality faster streaming you know blow that sort of thing but is have we reached the this is maybe a, a subject for another chat but just to kind of close that off you know is this the pinnacle of for music specifically i'm not talking about other forms of digital streaming but is this the pinnacle of where we can go with music or does it evolve into something else who knows that's a great question. But anyway. Question. Yeah. That's but anyway. Okay. I still think, I mean, it has improved. It has improved because I don't think there's, there's many streaming services that are 
below 320 yeah. kps or something yes. like that yeah um but you will notice that because of um because so many people listen to spotify and other services on their mobile that um a lot of you know a lot of those to- uh, sorry apps are kind of bandwidth adaptable let's say so when your bandwidth drops you will get the quality drops and i think you know we, we get once we maybe get see the rollout of 5g i think you know we we definitely need better quality music i think i think even a 320 kps you know um mp3 is still not the pinnacle of how music should be listened to there's a lot of there's a lot of high and low end stuff that's cut out it, it generally does it rarely represents what was recorded in the studio uh, and people don't really seem to care anymore uh, i know that's not the case you know always um but yeah i i do still feel that what that people need to be a bit more discerning about the actual uh quality of the music they're listening to in terms mm. of well yeah. you know it can always go back to the uh, good old laser disc or mini disc. <laughs> well, I, I'm still convinced that mini disc was awesome. I think I still feel that that the quality, the sound quality of that, and it may just be nostalgia. I may be talking absolute crap. I don't know, but I, I love my mini disc, and that that to me was the best sound quality I ever heard. But you know, I don't know if scientifically that is the case. Cool. Okay, so Mr. Collicott, what is your tech innovation that you would like to? Big up. Uh, well, can I big it up, or am I allowed to tear it apart? <laughs> you can. You can do both because we also we are also discussing the positives and negatives. So, okay. uh, by all means, but no ranting, Ooh. <laughs> if, if possible. If you tie Maybe this into the Last Jedi, I'll be amazed. <laughs> Don't. Maybe I should steer clear of my um, <laughs> my my main choice then. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I guess. Um, let, let's let's not let's not specifically talk about the internet because uh, I think that's a huge. You know, we could, we could have a, a, a five part series on that. But I think the the actual um, the, the 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 science and the and the progress around um, wireless technology, whether that be Wi Fi or Bluetooth. Um, I think for me, you know, that being out, you know, I mean, I, I have Sonos, uh, they're not paying me to say this, unfortunately, I, I'll try and get some money off them later, but you know, <laughs> I, I remember a time when I used to go from house to house, uh, even when I was at uni from, you know, from multiple times with these enormous floor standing speakers and set books, because I love music so much and. You know, I was really like uh, one of those guys who really had to have, you know, the best quality music. Now, now I have, you know, I have, uh, you know, all wireless tech in my in my house. You know, I have sound bars and it all works off Wi-Fi. You know, my my, my headphones are Bluetooth, and yeah, it just makes such a difference. You know, I know it's not fully wireless because a lot of this technology you still have to. You know, you have to plug it in somewhere, so yeah. uh, it kind of mocks that a bit. But, but yeah, I think you know, for me, it, it's pretty incredible that you have that. You know, you have Wi-Fi charging, and, and there's 
there's so many, you know, different uh, cool things kind of associated, you know, with wireless technology that, um, you know, probably when 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 we were growing up, when we, you know, when you, when you think about, you had a cassette tape, you had everything was battery operated, everything yeah. was wired, and I I could never have believed that I would be, you know, sat in my lounge. Um, listening to you know wireless so yeah wireless speakers that operate purely through the wi-fi and bluetooth headphones and other and connecting to other devices through or changing or changing the channel with a little piece of plastic in your hand who knew well yeah i mean yeah, yeah exactly that's i guess that's like you know, infrared tech it, it's all it's all, and, and you know even even when you think of bluetooth when when it started off i think um, there's been quite a few iterations to get to mm. like, you know, four or 5.0 Bluetooth. We're on five um, now, aren't we? Yeah. I think we're on five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive where we are and, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to go into the whole, um, you know, Alexa and, um, yeah. all the various different Siri and all that. But again, that's kind of part of it. It's, it's mm. the fact that you, you know, again wireless tech that you you know use voice commands for um yeah so i think i think it, it's pretty impressive i mean i've never i know people who have made their entire houses you know they, they've really got like hundreds of devices that allow them to to, to not they don't have to touch everything they anything they, they do it by voice and i really don't want to do that i've never wanted to do that i don't know why i just there's something I want something tangible and that I can control that can't go wrong. Um, but yeah, I do know people who, you know, they walk into their house and, and they use voice commands to, to connect to everything. You know, they, 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 they program their fridge remotely in oven mm. and weird stuff like that. And I'm just like, yeah, maybe, maybe in 20 years if I have to, but not yet. Yeah. I think like as, someone who like read a bunch of comics and always reading about the future and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Like I've always like, I've been absolutely the same as you have been like really fascinated with the advancements in, you know, things like Bluetooth, things like wireless charging, you know, chargeable devices, you know, um, things like Alexa and Google, or all like voice activated stuff. Um, I, 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 it's weird. I always thought when I bought my own house that I'd be like, yeah, everything is going to get jacked up and everything's going to be wireless. There's going to be no wires anywhere in my house. I'm just going to get all the latest tech and da, da, da. And actually, now I'm starting to kit stuff up and starting to fit things in. I'm like, oh, actually, I've kind of got a bit of both. And I kind of quite like it having a bit of, you know, I like my tech, but at the same time, I still do like enjoy kind of old school traditional I don't know things like yeah. like you say operating your fridge with your voice and op- like operating your oven with you know all that kind of stuff I just I'm not sure that I'll go that deep into it just yet I still quite like being able to you know do things myself and I don't know yeah just kind of holding on to the old ways God, maybe yeah, sound, I, maybe I get you. I, I like, um, and you, you've probably both got this, and you probably got it, and it works. But I remember um, getting the this kind of setup. It was a free setup with the um, 
I don't know, electrical gas provider that we have. And I, um, yeah, I think there was some kind of very simplistic integration that basically was supposed to allow you to then use an app to put the heating on when you want. And yeah. it just never worked. It, I mean, it kind <laughs> of did. It just didn't work properly. As in, I'm not saying I couldn't get it to do something. It just never, it never did quite what I wanted it to. And I just gave up I would- on it. But, Ironically, I just fitted one. I just fitted a nest into my house, so <laughs> so I've I've actually just gone down that road. Well, I think yeah, I think most people I know who've got it, it, it it's you know, it's not a difficult thing. It's not you know, hmm. um, ridiculous tech. But yeah, for some reason, that the version I had, which was I'm not gonna, I won't talk about the different companies. You know, you know who they are, but the company I had it with, it just never worked. And um, I tried again and again and again to debug it. Uh, to, to get it to work and it was like something about the, the boiler or the connection or something but yeah it, yeah. Just, it just stuck two fingers up at me and just went yeah I know you want that but nah nope. <laughs> I was just like yeah well okay I can't be can't be bothered anymore apart from the problem with your heating app I thought everything else you said was fairly complimentary I thought you were about tearing it down no, well, I was, yeah, that that's because I I kind of went with that option rather than talking about social media and apps. <laughs> I kind of realised that I don't have anything positive to say about about social media uh, at all. I think it's it's basically destroyed the world or destroying the world uh, layer by layer. Um, but I thought that's quite heavy. I don't want to go there, and that would be a long <laughs> rant. So yeah, let's. Oh, let's I, I could- I could I could have probably countered that a bit a little bit because I have mm. I have some opinions on the positive and negatives of social media. Um, but I, I yeah, just to very quickly touch on it, yes, I I think there is a that could possibly be a discussion for a whole other podcast. To be fair, it could be, and 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 I don't. I'm not saying there aren't positives. I'm just saying, unfortunately, I I think that the that the negatives are now outweighing the positives. I actually used to have not no particular issue with it. Like I think for, you know, probably a decade, I didn't see social media as something that was evil. And then it's only been the last sort of two or three years. I've just been like, and for the reasons that are well covered, you know what they are, you know, you, you know, it's all about uh, data harvesting. It's all about uh, misinformation, fake news and other countries able to, exploit um the Ooh, our russian sponsors are not going to uh enjoy <laughs> hearing about that, about that so uh <laughs> yeah, there's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. a red dot on me um, for some reason i don't understand <laughs> <laughs> yes com- yeah. yes comrade i mean yes you know. <laughs> so what do you got teach um change the world so- for you I'm going to go extremely personal on this one. And basically the technical advancements um, in computer games um, and the power of the consoles that that are running on them at the moment. um, I mean, I've been a lifelong gamer as as far back as I can remember. My first console slash home computer was a ZX Spectrum Plus 2. Google that one, kids. Um, <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. 
ZX, so I had I had the ZX Spectrum 48K with the rubber keypads. Was it before or after that? That one? was after that was after that one. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, you're gaming on cassettes right now, right? Yeah. So yeah, because yeah. the, the plus two, this uh, the plus two had um, the built-in cassette deck, um, yeah. and yeah, it was like big grey thing. Um, it was released. That was after the rubber keypads. What's that? Sorry. That was after the the, the ZX the forty eight K because the forty eight K had no yeah yeah yeah, yeah the, the, the the plus two was after the forty eight K was mine oh, was okay. one 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 twenty eight K yes the, uh, okay. plus two um, okay. it came out around I win on the earliest console front then oh yeah definitely <laughs> uh, my, <laughs> my 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 cousin actually had the forty eight K the rubber key one which is why I ended up getting the plus two a couple of years later. My my dad had I never actually used it, but I you know it was just there amongst all the other kind of computer guff. But there was also the one that had that didn't even have proper keys. It was almost like a touchpad. Oh, wow, do I, did, I do yeah. not. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what the difference was, but yeah, it was literally really flat. But um, yeah, wow. sorry to carry That's on. Right. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that's that was the start of my journey and had numerous consoles since between then and now. So the first game that you remember or loved. Oh, okay. I remember the first game was it was one of the cuz when you bought the plus 2, you got like a pack of six games that came with it, these really basic cheap games that were made by Spectrum, not by made by any uh, specific publishers. And there was a game in there called Punchy, which was a platformer. Um, but the characters are based around Punch and Judy. And I remember that was the first game that I loaded up and played. Uh, and then I played the shit out of it because that was the only game that I had for a long time. Um, but the fondest memory was actually uh, the Batman game that was on the, pl- uh, the Plus 2. It also came out on the Commodore as well. Um, and that was based on the... Um, Old, the, the yeah, the film, uh, Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, um, Batman. I had that, that, was, that was great. That was a really good game. Um, again, played the crap out of that. Um, I had, I had to just just a tiny bit more nostalgia because it's just so awesome to talk about this. But mm. did you did you have Jet Set Willy and Manic Miner? No, my cousin had Jet Set Willy. I didn't have Manic Miner actually. I don't think I ever played Manic Miner. Someone mentioned that the other day. Um, as I was talking about retro games for some reason. Um, but yeah, Jet Set Willy was, was a hell of a lot of fun, actually. I'm not playing it again, actually. Um, we'll have to do a podcast on, on retro games from... Yes, from, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but yeah, had um, Sega Mega Drive, uh, had a SNES, had uh, Nintendo 64, um all sorts of stuff right up to modern consoles, PlayStation, PlayStation 4 right now, um, Xboxes, all that kind of stuff. And just to kind of see where we've come from to where we are now, the fidelity, the speed of games, the size of the games, the scope of the games. Um, and ironically, it's a, it's a weird thing because when I think back to, and someone pointed this out to me the other day, and I was like, actually, it's, it's really weird. When you think back to 
old consoles like the snares and the mega drives and you just put a cartridge in boom straight into the game and we seem to have kind of gone full circle because obviously back in the days when you had cassette games you had to load up the game and it took however long and you know blah blah blah, whatever then you had consoles where the game where it was instant and now we've kind of gone back to these big ass games putting a cd into um or cd rom into your um into your machine waiting for it to download a patch or waiting for a game to download digitally waiting a few hours because the game's huge and all that kind of stuff and um it seems to have kind of gone full circle to now having to sit down and wait for games to be ready to play again um yeah. as opposed yeah. to a time when you know things are instant and we're and you know with the um invention of not invention but the coming on store of streamed games through things like stadia and xcloud and uh playstation's ps now um subscription service i think we're kind of, they're kind of trying to shift back to a time where you know you can get back to that immediacy and i want to play this boom straight into it so um but yeah it's just it's it's a fascinating thing to me to see and working in the industry now as well it's it's um it's incredible for me to see just how far things have come and also how you know i'm I'm speaking about a lot of positives but there are a lot of negatives as well you know you've got big huge publishers uh monetizing the crap out of their games uh putting out films to make and this is insane they cost more than films and they make more money than films and just to get your head around that it's insane yeah, it's 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 bigger than movie industry right now, and um, you know, with that comes a lot of monetization. Unfortunately, a lot of games being released uh, before they're ready to be released. Lots of bugs, and um, you know, so it's not all sunshine and roses. It's not all, and it's not all perfect. Um, you know, the the fact that it's a, an industry that's just as big, if not bigger, than the movie industry does bring along a lot of crap with that as well, and a lot of pressures. Uh, and that's shown in a lot of games that have been released recently that haven't been finished or um, have just been monetized to hell. So it's not all great, but um, yeah, to me as a as a lifelong fan, it's I just find the um, the advancements in that area just uh, staggering to me. And and again, to what I said earlier about music, you know, kind of fascinating to see where it goes next what's going to be you know the next big thing are we going to get to a point where we get a netflix of games where we get true um instant streaming of games or wow um yeah it's it's you know that's uh, that's what they're kind of pushing for i don't they're not quite there yet in terms of their business models and um how reliable that sort of thing is because that sort of thing obviously is reliant is reliant upon um reliable internet um service so i just thought that level of streaming was always a a response to something so like you to give you free, uh, uh, like spotify for example was a is a response to people not purchasing or people just illegally downloading so this is a, a cheap mm. way to do that legally and it's the same with like netflix or uh streaming mm. sites where people are downloading illegally uh shows or or films but um so within the gaming to have that kind of platform for gaming seems almost unjustified if it's already making loads and loads of money this wouldn't replace that would it well, it, or... it is but you've got so i mean like i say the 
issue that we have at the moment is that the games are getting bigger and bigger in scope and, and requiring, you know, larger and larger patches, larger and larger game file sizes. And, and that means that, you know, they're trying to fit hundred gig games onto discs that can only fit a certain amount of, you know, and at, at some point that's, that's going to be unsustainable. So, mm. you know, looking at, and I, I, I think it's one of those things where it, they it was just waiting for internet speeds to get to a point where they could sustain being able to stream a game to clients. Cause then, you know, I, I, the whole crux of it is being able to get, to get that immediacy. Not, you know, I, if I wanted to play a game, I can see the, the, the way the, they were advertising it with Google, Google Stadia was that I could see, um, someone streaming a game like an influencer or whatever streaming the latest FIFA game I click on the link boom I can play that game instantly on my PC or I can play it on my mobile phone or I can play it with using the Google controller through my TV so it's, it's that immediacy as opposed to you know I could see an advert on TV then I have to log on to Amazon and, and purchase the game or I have to go into the PSN store and download it which will take you know, a couple of hours depending on your internet speeds or um, I'd have to go out to the shop and go and buy it. It's, it's having that immediacy and then getting, it's, it's a, it's also, it's a consumer thing, isn't it? It's, you know, if you give people, if you break down the barriers um, of entry for people to purchase stuff, then theoretically it makes it more likely that people will buy things on an impulse buy or will just go out. I'll I'll get that now. Mm, Um, So, um, but I'm, I don't think that their business model necessarily holds up at the moment. Um, I think if they can get to a point where, which would be highly unlikely at the moment, but if they could get to a point where there is a, a Netflix of games, where there's like a, a library of games where people can play and you pay one subscription fee for this service and you get access to all these games, that's a big, that would be a huge, huge thing, but at the moment, there's nothing like that available at the moment. Google Stadia, I think you subscribe to it, but then you also have to purchase the game separately anyway, which is weird. Um, um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think the, the, the issue is, and I kind of, to, to use Xbox 360 as an example, when Xbox 360 came out, because, you know, it, it's Microsoft, it was almost like, Microsoft were giving you a, a high-end PC dedicated for gaming. And the problem mm. is, if, if you look at all the, the, the various pieces of technology that go into any PC or any console, those things haven't really come down in price. Like the latest graphics card and memory and all the various different chipsets and things that keep coming out, they're still incredibly expensive. And, you know, as you say, the the games themselves require more and more kind of processing speed and and bigger and bigger, you know, pieces of tech uh, to run them because they are so huge. You know, they are basically being made by, you know, multiple studios and cost Mm. billions of dollars. So, so But then then will they they ever come down in in price in that way? Because... You know, it, conversely, the the machines are getting more and more powerful. They're getting faster and faster. The graphic cards, but not or whatever. enough, not not fast enough. I think you, you know, you right. look at the, 
Well, they, well, well it, it's not that they, they can't do it, it's the cost. Because even yeah. now, when you talk about the, the PS5 and I don't, know what, what's, I don't know what the Xbox, the next Xbox is called. Um, the Xbox something, I don't know. <laughs> Xbox Mindfuck or whatever it is. But both those things, I think, I think both um, both console makers, both companies are struggling to make them affordable because um, I, you know the amount of because if if you think if you bought a high end PC, you know with all the the kind of processing power and graphics cards and sound cards and all the all the guff that you you, you can get available to kind of you know, play play a lot of the high-end games at the best possible resolutions and speeds and all that. You know, you're paying thousands of pounds. But, yeah. you know, for a console, people still expect to pay three or four hundred pounds. And I know for a fact that um, they, I think I'm pretty sure that the Xbox 360, if not the PS4 as well, and maybe pre- prior iterations of um, uh, PlayStation consoles, were sold at a loss because basically, you know, Microsoft and Sony, they, they, they need you to have these things in, in your home. You know, they need the console in the home so that they can make more money from licensing the software. And I think mm. that kind of carries on today. Even oh, then, yeah, the next Xbox is, well, is Project, yeah, Project Scarlet, it's called, so it doesn't have a name yet. Okay. But, yeah, but I, I know that... Um, there's a lot of speculation that the, these consoles are going to be, you know, they're going to be over five hundred pounds, or you know, especially when you, or, or even the base console might be that. But once you factor in, you know, controllers, memory cards, and all the kind of, uh, you know, and and the game with it, you know, you're 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 asking parents to spend, you know, shy of a thousand pounds for a console at some point. So I think this is why. If they they truly want to find a way of of keeping it profitable for them, but making it affordable for people at home, then yeah, TJ, you're 100 percent right. They they definitely need to kind of make streaming, you know, game streaming games um, through whatever kind of enormous server hubs, you know, almost like these how nine thousand hubs ai hubs that you can <laughs> run multiple you know hundreds and thousands or millions of gamers off at once it's mm-hmm. kind of where that they, they need to get to because i don't think um the home console can sustain um no. the level of progress or the level is it's, mm-hmm. well the level of cost needed because i think and, that's and, the and uh, what's that? Yeah, sorry, I was just going to say that's the thing as well. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up it's. It's not. It's not just about the size of file. It's also about the processing power it takes to run these new games. Like all yeah. of that is done server side on, for example, Google's end. So the only thing you need is just the device to show whatever it is. Everything else is being run through their end. So, you know, yeah, um, as the technology and the game fidelity and all of that stuff exponentially increases you know if you can transform that stuff over to server side where there's they've got much more capacity to run these things at greater speeds or whatever the technical terminology is then yeah, yeah you know that that would be the future but i think that the two things that it live or that it will live or live or die on will be um internet 
reg, uh, stable internet connection speeds um, in widespread widespread areas and um, a business model that makes sense. Yeah, agreed. And, and I think also one of the biggest problems that people seem to ignore is that a lot of the, um, what do you call it, the, 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 the oh, I can't, I can't, the fact that, the foundations, the minerals, the, the the materials. There we go. Got there in the end. The materials that a lot of these things are made out of, uh, mm. in terms of chipsets and memory. Oh, yeah. Same as within, um, you know, uh, smartphones mm. are getting scarcer and scarcer and, and more expensive. Um, and I think someone said, I'm sure there's been many articles on this, but um, a lot of uh, a lot of the kind of honeypots is in the areas where. Uh, a lot of these materials, these raw materials exist is still pretty much in countries like China. So they, mm-hmm. they have, they still have a complete technology monopoly. That stranglehold. And, uh, yeah. Huh? They have that stranglehold. stranglehold. Yes. Although yes. we wouldn't say that because our Chinese sponsors wouldn't be uh, too pleased with that either. <laughs> There's two red dots on right. me now. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that's it. I hope that you enjoyed listening to our um, little nuggets of tech love and hate in some cases. And uh, we shall see you soon. Hope you enjoyed the podcast.